Hey, Dad, just quick. Lick out. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Okay, thanks. I'm Nikki Bond, and my absentee rock and roll dad has just recently come back into my life. So now I have to try and teach him how to be a father because he has no clue. Welcome back, guys. This is Woe Dad. I'm your host and abandoned child, Nikki Bond. Bobby is uh, never in the intro, but if this is your first time listening, this is how it goes. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm treating this podcast like it's the first episode. Maybe I just wanted to refresh the room. Is anybody else on Clubhouse? That's what they always do, refresh the room. I'm on. I'm on it. And uh, it's a little bit addictive, but I also am getting kind of bored of it because it's the same people over and over and over. And believe it or not, I actually am more intrigued when people come and go, you know, that's how I've been conditioned by my dad. People that are there, then they're not around. Oof, please come back. I need an app that does that. I'd be very good on dating apps, actually. I'd probably be very attentive. But Clubhouse, it's the same people over and over and over. However, if you are on it, follow me, Nikki Pond promo. It's fun sometimes. There's good comedy shows on there. Okay, guys, today is a special day because I have one of my mentors on this episode, actor Eric Johnson. This guy I met, well, I'll give a better breakdown when we get into the episode, but I know him from Toronto. He was in my Second City group class. We took Second City for Actors, and I became good friends with him and another good friend of mine, Scott Cavallero, and we ended up doing some shoots together, and I'm so happy that I'm still friends with Eric because not only is he very talented, he's really helped me out a lot in terms of inspiring me, and also I look up to him as a dad that I never had, not that he treats me like his kid, but he's a very good dad. So I wanted him to come on the podcast and share his story. I also know that my dad is obsessed with film as we know and how it works. So I thought that this would be a nice little guest for him to pick his brain because he keeps asking me about what happens behind the scenes. And I'm like, I don't know, dad, I haven't fully made it yet, but thanks for the reminder. So today... Without further ado, you might know him from Fifty Shades Darker, from Vikings, from Smallville, from, what was the other one? Oh, The Nick. He's been in so many things. Actor, amazing dad, Eric Johnson. Oh, just so you know, I, I was almost done this amazing intro, but I fucked up the time when we were recording this and we talk about it a little bit. I told my dad that we were recording at 11, my time to his time, which was wrong. It was supposed to be one his time. And so that was my bad. My dad was a little bit scattered and then we had technical difficulty. Are you surprised? I'm not. There's always technical difficulty. So there's going to be a little glitch in it. I feel like you may be used to that now. But because we also had internet problems on my dad's side, we couldn't use his microphone, so now he has his headphones. But I promise, next time we record, sound will be better. Okay, now, Eric Johnson. Testing, one, two, testing. Oof, okay, great. Oh, you sound great. Dad. Hi. That was my well, bad. You sound amazing. I did the math wrong, sorry, dad. 
I am sorry that I confused you, but that's okay. Next time, I'm just gonna say LA time and not and let you do the math, so then I can blame you. Yeah, because I move a lot. You know. You what? I, I move around a lot. You do. Um, <laughs> not not in the sense that. Hold on, I'm just trying to make this into a gallery. Oh, there you go. Okay. We're all equal. Look at you knew how to do a gallery too. Hi, Eric. Whoa. Whoa. Hey, how are you? We're all slowly becoming uh, masters of Zoom over the last year. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a good that's a good level. Um so dad, yeah, this is Eric. Eric is the pretty much reason why I write scripts. I've written I've wrote Wow. It's true. You've been like my writing mentor. I mean, Wow. Hundred percent. I wouldn't do. I wouldn't have done that without you. I couldn't. Have. Well, that's very kind of you to say. But you you do it very well on your own. So <laughs> uh, not the best, but yeah. So Eric and I, um, I've known Eric for I don't know, since like while now twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Yeah, and we did improv together, and that's how we met. And mm-hmm. he's a. You already know. I've talked to you about this, but a successful actor. He's my most successful friend in entertainment and then since then we've done like a couple of uh little short films together and he helped me write uh adult in training or help me he shot it for me the the trailer oh great yeah Yeah. can you turn it up a bit i'm trying to okay uh, i can't even hear that's great right now that's good i'm still working on this because i can't really um unbelievable Hold on one second. Well, you sound great. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It sounds really Test. good. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, um, hi, Eric. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you? <laughs> good, man. So you're um, in New Orleans right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm in uh, Toronto. <laughs> oh, you're in Toronto. I am. Yeah, I'm in Toronto. The leaves how are finally it? coming out, so it's finally springtime here, which is very nice. And we can say goodbye to the longest COVID winter of all time. What are leads? leaves? Leaves. 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 Yeah, like on oh, the trees. Come on out. Yeah. Where do you live up there? Uh, just outside of uh, High Park, so Roncesvalles area. Oh, okay. You're filming now, right? Me? Not right now. No. Uh, right now, it's quiet for me, which is which is all right. Lots of time at home with the kid, being dad. H- how old is he? Uh, it is a they. A we day. have a we, we have a non-binary wonderful child named CJ, uh, and who's been just the absolute uh, the best part of COVID. So like, uh, and it's been you know an intense amount of quality time that we would have never got otherwise. So we've it's like kind of like going to a remote cottage and having to sit there with your family, <laughs> and have and uh, that's essentially what COVID's been. So we've had. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of time together and, and um, you know, have learned a lot about each other, I think, in the last year. Played a lot of video games, watched a lot of movies, made a lot of food, um, you know, all, all that sorts of stuff. So, you know, we're, we've been, I feel very, very fortunate to have that amount of time with a, a teenager, which I know would not have happened otherwise. It would have oh, just... Right, yeah. You know, 
Yeah. How, how is COVID up there? I hear it's it's locked down. Are you guys locked down? Yeah, yeah. We're basically uh, stay at home orders again. So like we're sort of back to where we were last April, um, which is unfortunate. I feel for everybody who are sort of on the front lines, people at the hospitals and all that. Like this oh, is the, the new variant that's running rampant here. But uh, you know they're amping up the 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 vaccine uh, rollout here, which is good. So hopefully by summer we're we're out of this and can go out and give people hugs again. <laughs> you haven't gotten vaccinated yet. No, not yet. But now I see you. I've I've heard about you through Nicole before, but like I, you yeah. know, so I know that you're a musician, very talented musician. You traveled the world. Uh, how has this been for 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 you? I mean, obviously, you know, live shows haven't really been much of a thing. Yeah, you know, once I got off the road, I just didn't want to uh, play anymore drums. I've actually learned a bunch of these instruments that they're using in movies and all kinds of stuff. It's incredible. But um, you're from Edmonton, right? Yeah. Yeah. He did his research. It's good. You did. You did yeah. your research. I'm from Edmonton. No, I didn't. I, I didn't. No, I didn't. No. I just Googled your name. I wanted to make sure it was the right person that I thought it was going to be, and it was. Because um, Eric Johnson's also a famous to... guitar player. So. Uh, <laughs> I know. And, yeah. and he's very, very good. And so, you know, there's, there's times I don't mind being confused for him <laughs> on social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But so when did you move? I, I had some really good friends from Edmonton, um, but they've passed away. I'm sorry. Uh, but really great musicians. Great musician. Earl was from, do you remember? Earl? Oh, he was. Yeah, it's from Edmonton. You're cutting out Edmonton. a little bit. You're a bit robot-y. I don't want you to like stop doing what you're doing because I don't want to hold anything up. But well, I'm on my phone hotspot on my computer. So oh, is that cool? Um, it's yeah, not. It's, it's sort of working. And then his connection dropped. We spoke too soon. My dad froze and we lost him. Maybe it's because he's using a hotspot to podcast, but we're going to keep talking until he comes back. Sorry. <laughs> Happens, man. This is, this is, this has been the year of like, it Zoom. Has. Or like, no, 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 join on Microsoft teams. No, no, no. You're doing a Google meet. No, no, no. It's Skype. I know. And it's, it's like, I've never had this much trouble, but, uh, Today's the day, and it's one of those, it's like, you know what? Who cares? It's it happens. Fine. It's fine. Absolutely happens. Um, I didn't even realize that CJ is a proper teenager right now. Yeah. Like, like how, how old? 13. <sighs> the worst. Right? It's crazy. Uh, you know, it's been a long time since we were offering them ice cream from a puppet. <laughs> so me and Eric did a short film together called Shelly. It was part of, part of the 48-hour film challenge in Toronto. Yeah, Toronto 48-hour film festival, yeah. Yeah. And uh, CJ was in it very at a very young age. Great sport. Yeah, like like uh, six yeah. years old, I think. Yeah. Five or six years old. Yeah. <laughs> And the film is about yeah. a puppet that wants to commit suicide, mm. <laughs> which is yeah my favorite my favorite thing. Um, and so <laughs> that's what he was referencing. It was a good yeah. guys. You can still check it out on YouTube. It's on my YouTube. Uh, she called Shelly. Dad, are you there? Yeah. Great. Great. Nice. You sound great. Yeah. Can you hear me? 
I can hear you. Okay. All cool. right. Okay. We'll try this. Yeah. If you keep the video off, I think it might work. Yeah. If we just do audio. Yeah. But uh, I can't read your aura then. <laughs> <laughs> well, our aura is very uh, um, blue and generous. Maybe that <laughs> we're blue, kind, happy. Uh, happy? Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, that's the vibe I'm putting out there into the world. Right. Okay. <laughs> when did you uh, move? What's your journey? What's your your journey be? Man, I, uh, you know, born, born and raised in Edmonton, uh, was terrible at hockey. I discovered at a very early age. Uh, so you you run out of options of what to do in Edmonton pretty quick after that. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, I got into, I got into theater. I became the weird theater kid at school. Uh, and then I did my first professional theater show when I was 11 years old. Um, there was a great, uh, theater company in Edmonton that did family theater. And the first show I did was called The Secret Garden, uh, based on the famous book. And it was a 750 seat theater that at the University of Alberta that we did it out of. We, you know, it was uh, eight shows a week. For, no shit. For, yeah, for three and a half weeks. And, and, you know, I realized like, hey man, this is a good deal. This is a hell of a lot better than being at school. So I missed a month of school, got to do a show, made 400 bucks, you know, at 11 years old. Oh I'm like, my God. I'm pretty sure I'm rich. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, that was, that was sort of it. I just loved, I loved being on stage and I loved performing. And it was the, the energy, uh, that came around with that was just, it was, it was too good. And it was, it was funny cause I missed a month of school, but I did all my work. I just did it when I had time and my, my grades went up. Cause I actually focused and paid attention and did really, right. so it was, it, it, it was just very clear to me that this is what I wanted to do. And I, I ended up getting my first, um, television role the next year at 12 years old. Um, Ray Bradbury had this anthology series that was based on some of his short stories. And I did one of those. And so that was my first sort of foray into television. And I'm like, this is even cooler. Look at the lights and the camera and all the people. And we're doing a night shoot. Was that in Edmonton too? That was in Edmonton. Yeah. So I'm shooting in, in the ravine, not far from my house where I grew up in the middle of the night. And somebody gives me a glass of hot chocolate. And I'm like, this is the greatest (laughs) thing in the world. You're like, don't pay me. Just give me the hot chocolate. From, from, yeah, the, the, clearly the thing that I was most excited about was somebody gave me a sandwich and a hot chocolate. And I'm like, this is like, why would I do anything else with my life? I'm playing pretend and people are feeding me. This is like way better than any play date I'd ever had. Wow. Uh, and that, that was it. For me, that was the only thing I wanted to do from that moment on. And I just kind of kept going. And that was, that, was the, that, was the, that was a singular dream from that time on. No kidding. So like when you were 10... What were you doing when you were 10? I mean, you got this gig at 11. I mean, when was yeah. that? I just want to, because what's interesting is both of you, dad, you started playing drums. How old were you? Around 10. I mean, seriously, I started playing around 10. I started like playing the records that I dug, you know, that. And you were I playing in bars play when you were like 12. I was playing in bars at around 
15, but I was gigging, not playing in bars at like 13. So I feel like wow. it's the same. I just, before you say what you did when you were 10, I'm now seeing like the yeah. connection between you guys. Yeah. Yeah. When I was 10, I was actually in theater school. Like I, I discovered it when I was like nine years old. No kidding. And did it was like, it was like a summer uh, camp thing for two weeks. And then I signed up for the year and to be honest, hated most of it. Cause it's like school and it's extra work. And it was, uh, it was yeah. five hours out of my Saturday that I was going oh. to do this to start. And, um, but you know, I, I, I stuck with it. And every time we would get to like the year end performance. Right. And I would like, hate it, hate it, hate it. We do the year end performance. And like, this is the best thing ever because that's what I was there for was the performing. And so like nine and 10, that was, that's what I was doing. We were doing scene study and all the, all the learning of how to do all this shit, like Shakespeare monologues, all that crazy stuff. Um, and then oh it was that, God. that school that I was a part of, it was their theater company that hired me for the professional show. So I auditioned for that and got that and did a, you know, end up doing a couple of shows for them. So, you know, my first, it, but I loved it because, you know, I was a kid, but I was working around a bunch of adults and we were all just doing the job and I wasn't treated right. like a kid. I was just doing the thing I love to do with a bunch of other people who were doing the thing that they love to do. And it was awesome to not, you know, like from that point on school, didn't define who I was, you know, all that bullshit. I was like, I had my own thing and it was completely separate from like, my family didn't come from anything like this at all either. Like, you know, I'm from a blue collar working class family. And so it, you know, right. they, you know, not that they, they weren't creative, but like, that was just, you, you know, you, you worked hard and you, you didn't complain, you did your job. And, and uh, so yeah, that was, that was for me that it's amazing that you were, you were like, 10 years old, you started playing and then we're like gigging by the time you were 13. But the thing is, you know, it's a hard thing to say um, when I actually started because I became really hungry to do it mm. at around seven years old, I would wow. say seven or eight. Wow. Because I, um, that was uh, 1962. I was seven. And uh, I listened to uh, an Elvis Presley song, right? And it was Hold That Tiger. Some It had a really cool groove to it. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to like, express it through rhythm. Like some people want to dance. I wanted to do that, you know? So that's how I started. So I was futzing with it for like four or five years. I would play to records and stuff and try to figure it out. But not until... Actually, I started taking lessons, I think, at nine. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, what did your dad, what did your parents do? My mom, she, she did a bunch of different things. Uh, she'd actually gone to university for music. Um, really? really? Yeah. So she had gone to university for one year for music. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, she was like teaching piano lessons out of the house and things like that. Uh, but you know, she also worked as a florist and then actually ended up working at my elementary school as a librarian wow. uh, and like a teacher's assistant at different times. So, uh, and then, you know, later in life, she, she went on to, she's had a few different careers. My dad worked at a, like a, like a, a at a factory, like a plant, like they were working there making, uh, binders, like school binders, wow. you know, menus, all that sort of stuff. So he's working on that like, completely different. My dad was, is a very creative hands-on kind of guy. Like he can sort of fix anything he's that guy it's like 
hey, this machine is broken. He'd be like, oh, I'll figure it out. Or, you know, fixing cars and he'd restore old cars. He'd renovate our houses. So he's very hardworking, but very good with his hands and, and creative in that regard. And, you know, had a guitar in the house and, and taught himself to play a few chords. Um, my brother picked up the guitar when he was like uh, 11 or 12 and had a real talent for it. And so when I was uh, 12 years old or 11 years old, they put a bass in my hand because my brother needed a bass player. And it was like so big. No way. That I could barely, I, I couldn't play F. Like my hand just couldn't reach. Like I couldn't do that. Like G was the, as far as my hand would reach no. on that E string. You know, F's, I had to like slide the bass over to play it. <laughs> the chord, the F chord for beginners is, is hard, man. You don't get that. Brutal. Long. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah, yeah, little hands. Heavy bass. And I remember just the worst thing about it was carrying the fucking thing to my lessons because it was so heavy. Right. Wow. We get in the car and we're going to this lesson. And Chris, you know, weird story is my bass teacher's name was Eric Johnson as well. What? So Are you shitting like, me? Yeah, there's so many Eric Johnsons in the world. We do we do weird things. But uh, yeah, it was just the worst thing was I had the bass amp. So I'm 12 years old. I have a fucking bass amp and then the bass guitar. And like carrying the bass guitar for more than like half a block took two hands and the bass amp was like, I'm never moving this. This is way too heavy. Yeah. Um, and then trying to play Zeppelin with my brother is just like, no way, man. Zeppelin. There's no way I can be John Paul Jones at, at 12 years old when I can't play F. It's just like, it was so hard. Uh, so, you know, then I got in trouble for, you know, playing my brother's electric guitar, which I found <laughs> a little easier and it was a three quarter size. So it was easier to play. And, and he'd come home and, smack me around for playing his guitar but god oh my god <laughs> did you ever have these are really out of the blue questions because they're just curiosities that i have um nicole last time i was there last year actually was it or maybe the time before i was there she had me read a script because she was working on a script mm -hmm. found it mm -hmm. very difficult right to even but memorization of a dialogue and developing it Mm -hmm. And then to understand, I find that my, my favorite actors are actors that aren't theater actors. They're kind of like, they don't overact. They very subtle. Mm -hmm. Like if you take a guy like Keanu Reeves, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the same. He talks about the same much in every movie, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, it's just very monotone, mm -hmm. but that's his thing. You know what I mean? And yeah. Um, He's developed a style. Do you like it or no? I like Keanu Reeves uh, because I, I know that he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I saw him standing up for this this lady in a subway, and there was a picture of him. You know, candidly, and that to me is like, if you're an asshole, forget about it. I don't yeah. give a shit. Um. But what's your, sorry, I interrupted, but what's your question about Keanu and the way that he talks? Or are you just saying that you like non-theatrical actors? I do. Yes. I just think it's a different skill, you know, and they're like, they're sort of two different things. Uh, and, you know, especially back a while ago, or, you know, it's like before everybody had headset mics and things like that, you know, you had to play to the back row. You had to make sure that people in the back of the theater got an experience as well. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I think technology over time has made that easier and, and things on stage have been able to, you know, to shift into a more subtle ways, but even things like body language and stuff like that, you know, because people can't see the micro expressions on your face from 10 rows back, you've right. got to, you've got to find a way to convey that physically. So it becomes much more of a physical embodiment. Uh, and then also, you know, projecting in a way that still makes your voice sound natural, but is still reaching the back row. That was something that we had to focus on so much when I was a kid and right. shit, like the stuff that I was getting hammered on, on that first show was about enunciating and my diction and making sure people in the back row could hear me because that was, that was the purpose. Like you needed the person uh, in row double Z to, to be able to enjoy the show. Whereas the camera is so intimate and it sees oh, yes. everything and it never right. blinks and it's right there. And it's, uh, you know, two feet from your face. So it's, it's a very, very different beast. And so, um, you know, even, even the way tonally different movies are shot in, in terms of like, are you doing uh, an upbeat comedy or are you doing more of a drama? It just, it just changes subtly because depending on how far away the camera is, depends on how it is interpreted by the audience. And the closer it is, literally the less you should you need to do in order to convey anything it just becomes so intimate so i i would agree with you like there's there's some people who are just just are so captivating with so little yes yes there you know have you ever heard of spencer tracy mm -hmm. yeah spencer tracy is like for me one of the all-time greatest actors because yeah. he's but if you watch his movies uh he'll look down like this at the floor. He's reading his lines from the floor. There were <laughs> yeah. certain tricks, really? right? Mar yeah. Marlon, uh, was it Marlon Brando? Brando, same thing. Yeah. Was it if the he floor? didn't like the other actor, he put the lines on the other actor's forehead no. off camera. Yeah. Marlon Brando did that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. He had, there was, there was movies. He had big cue cards and you'd see him like, He's on there, he's doing his thing. And then he would be looking off camera to like, like he just <laughs> discovered an idea and it's some poor, you know, production assistant holding his lines on cue cards. So he'd know what to say. And it's be like, oh, it's this genius moment. He's out there and the idea is just coming. He's looking for his fucking lines. So, right. <laughs> yeah, very funny. Yeah. So yeah. Um, did you... Did you have you had to make an adjustment when you got into the television, or were were you just such an open canvas or a blank page where it was no problem going from stage to, to television? You, you know, I, I think there was some of it. There was there was definitely learning curves, and you know, to be honest, I think like like any sort of artistic pursuit, you're never done. You're always learning new things, and and you know, the the thing for me is that I you know this is this this is the instrument, and this instrument keeps changing over time. So you right. got to use it slightly differently as, as, as it, as it grows older and does different things. Um, you know, so I think. Can you give me I an example of like what, like a specific thing that you noticed that you were like, Oh, I have to change that because of my, when he's saying this, he's pointing to his face. So I want to, I'm interested. Well, in well no, I was. just think in terms of like you, you represent different things to people you know like just the sort of the archetypal thing of what you know you're you as a person as an appearance represents right so at 20 years old you know i i represent one thing at 40 years old i represent a different right. kind of thing right um right. you know whether it's uh 
you know, and I think it's just part of it. Maybe it's just more self-awareness other than, than anything else is like, you know, if I say this a certain way, it's going to be interpreted very differently than if I had said the same thing at 20 years old, right. You know, it, it can carry different weight. It can carry different connotation. And um, you started to play more actually of the villain role, right? Like yeah, I played a lot shades of darker and the really a lot. Yeah. yeah. I play a lot of bad guys. That's, that's basically my, been my bread and butter. That's one of the first television role I ever had was playing a bully, which, uh, you know, very much, I would say, uh, you know, this isn't a boohoo moment, but I was, the, I was not the cool kid in school by any means. Uh, I was not, you know, top of the pecking order. I was somewhere not at the bottom, but just a few notches below maybe. Uh, so playing the bully was like, oh, I know what this feels like. I'll just be like those guys. And, and that, that was it. So, so I've just, I've made a pretty much a career of been playing the bad guy. Uh, ever wow. Since. Yeah. Wow. So um, you moved to Toronto and then you started doing work in LA. How did that go down? It actually was you- the other way around. Uh, I went from... I went to LA for the first time uh, for a screen test when I was 15. So I had auditioned for a project uh, and they flew, they flew me down by myself uh, for me to screen test for a movie. Uh, And uh, the movie was called Gattaca. And it was, I love that movie. (laughs) Yeah. And Andrew, Andrew Nichol uh, wrote and directed that really talented guy uh, starring Ethan Hawke. Wow. Um, and Were you up so for that I, I was up to play the young Ethan Hawke. Okay. And uh, I'd already done a movie at that point called Legends of the Fall the year before, uh, which was Brad Pitt and Anthony Hopkins. No big. Uh, it was shot, that was shot just outside of Calgary. And so I, I, had a, I had a small part in that, and I worked on that for a few weeks. Wait a so second. What's the name of that? What's the name of that Legends movie? of the Fall. Okay. And uh, so, you know, so I went to L.A. L.A. was first. So I went from Edmonton, screen tested in L.A. at 15, didn't get that job. Screen tested in L.A. Uh, again at 16 for, for another job, didn't get that job. Uh, and then, um, you know, was went to L.A. for a few weeks when I was 18, you know, just doing pilot season stuff. And then moved to Vancouver for a few months, worked out there. Did a, did a couple episodes of television and, and a miniseries. Took all my money, moved to L.A. for three months, spent all that money. Damn. Auditioning, screen testing, living with a bunch of actors in one place, uh, which is great. I, you know, skipped out of winter in Canada for three months, which is great. And then that, that was sort of it. And then I, I booked a TV series in Vancouver uh, and moved there when I was 21. And that, that show was, that was Smallville. And, uh, and that's so I went from... Uh, and then moved to LA after that for a few years before moving back to Vancouver to do a show. And then I've only been in Toronto the last 10 years. So it's like, I was doing this West coast migration. I would like be in my parents' basement, go to Vancouver, make some money, take all that money, go to LA, spend all of that money to be trying in LA, move back to my parents' basement and did that for a couple of years just to, you know, you know, getting jobs in, in that time. But, uh, you know, one of the lucky things is like, you know, I left high school and, and I went to the job bank to look at a job. Like, what am I going to do? And I had two auditions that week, that first week of September when I should have been like, you know, you either, you know, go to university or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know, I, don't, I don't, didn't even graduate. What am I going to do? Uh, and, uh, had two, 
two auditions and I ended up booking both of them. And one was like a TV movie and one was a movie of the week. So I ended up having work for the next like two and a half months. And that was like, okay, this is all I'm going to do. And that was just, I just didn't have a plan B. It was like, that's it. This is it. Wow. The, uh, the the movie you did with Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt, Mm -hmm. uh, did you have a lot of lines in that? You said it was a small part. Yeah, it was a smaller part. I played Brad Pitt as a kid. So it was like a couple of scenes in there. I had like, uh, there was, there was more that I did that made then that made the final cut in the movie. Um, but you know, I worked for like three weeks. Uh, I got to work with a 1400 pound grizzly bear, which was uh, a pretty wild experience for 14 years old. And, uh, and again, missed some time from school. Yeah. Uh, so I actually, I finished that movie. So that was like September. So I went to school for a week, left school to go and shoot a movie for three weeks, came back to school for like three days and then left to go and do a play of, uh, of Charlotte's web with the same theater company that I'd worked with before. And we did Charlotte's web for, for like, so I missed another five weeks of school. So the ninth grade, like I was basically not there until November and that was awesome. Like I, that was, that was perfect. Like I, I, that was, that was ideal. And again, my grades were better when I was out of school than when I was in it. Oh, cool. Um, did you do any scenes with Anthony Hopkins or Brad Pitt? Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, cause he, uh, he, you know, he was playing my dad and, uh, you know, there's a scene in the movie where, uh, you know, I go after this bear and, uh, and then I get you know, caught by the bear and the bear rips, rips me open a little bit. And then it's my, you know, my dad comes running over, calling me a jackass. And that was Anthony Hopkins. And I think, I think the lines that I had in the movie were, yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> those, are the, <laughs> those are the lines that, those are the lines that made the movie. I had a whole other, you know, a, a, a few other things in there, but, um, you know, nothing like uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins calling you a jackass. Wow. Did, did you know who he was at 15? Uh, n- I mean, I, I hadn't seen Silence of the Lambs, obviously. Uh, and I just turned 14 when I, when I, when I did this. So I'd actually booked the job when I was 13. And, wow. um, and, uh, so I, I you know, I didn't really have a, a, a full appreciation for his body of work. Um, but certainly afterwards was, was much more acutely aware of everything in, in the aftermath of that. So it was, it was a good introduction into into that world too. It was just a, it, I, I loved it. Cause it was, it, it had this great energy. It's like a hundred people all there working in all different jobs, all working towards the same goal. And I just loved that feeling of being part of a team. And that's, yeah. uh, that was, that was a thing that was just so intoxicating for me. And then to also be a kid and be, be responsible for doing a job. And right. you know, people relying on you, just, you got to get this right. Like, here you go. And right. I, I love that. Like, uh, right. I'm sure there, there was, had to be something similar for you. It's like, you know, especially as, as a, as a drummer, like if you're not, if you're not on time, if you're not doing your job, that can, it can screw things up. So. Oh yeah. I could count on one, uh, one hand, the amount of gigs I've missed mm. it's through sickness barfing buckets i, I mean mm. seriously wow. and even though even though uh yeah even though on broadway you know you can all after six months you, you only have to do 40 percent of the shows mm-hmm. because they've got such a large subbing pool um 
did you ever have one moment where you walk on a set and you're just intimidated by who you're working with or? Yeah. Yeah. I've had that. It happened as I got older. I think when I was younger, I, I was, you know, all of it was a little different anyways, but you know, I was so excited that, you know, it did, it didn't really matter. And I was clueless as to what a lot of things were. I mean, it's pre-internet days, so it's not like I could Google everybody beforehand. So, um, it, you know, it definitely, definitely happened to me of, you know, there was a few pinch yourself moments. Uh, I did a series called the Nick, which was, uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh, loves the Nick. uh, starring, yeah, starring Clive Owen. And it yeah. was like my, my first day on set, I've got this big, um, sort of like mini monologue in doctor speak and, uh, we're just about to get going and I look up and it's like, I'm just looking at uh, Steven Soderbergh, who's behind the camera and operating. And I look beside me and it's Clive Owen. And uh, he had done a movie that was, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, Children of Men. And I think he's just a fantastic actor. And, he is. And it was but... like, I, and th that moment, I just went, it just all landed all at that, that moment. And I blew the take. And cause I was in my head and uh, Soderbergh just said, uh, Fuck. Yeah, you're you're gonna have to just get all of this because I'm not doing any more coverage on the scene. So it's you just, you kind of just got to nail this. Uh, and so it's like, okay, what is, okay. Wait, wait, wait. What did he mean by coverage? What does that mean? Miz, like this is the only shot I'm doing. So if you flub your line, it's in the movie. So you got to just get it right. So there's no cutting around what you're doing right now. You just got to get it right. Wow. And that just set the tone early. It's like your only option is to just get it right the first time. And it just set the bar. And so did that make you nervous you know, or like, how did you get over that to do it? Right. I was convinced I was getting fired that first week. I was absolutely convinced I was going to get fired. Cause that's a great, like, that's a great state of mind to be in. Yeah, yeah. Cause you don't really give a shit. It's like, Oh no, I worked so fucking hard. It was like that first day making that one mistake. I was adamant that I am not going to, I'm not going to fuck up again. Like, that's it. Like I was so, I would wake up in the middle of the night doing my, like doing the lines in my head. And I have a, I have a very lucky, I have a photographic memory when it comes to memorizing lines. Do you so, really? Yeah. It's like a cheat code and it's like, it's so not fair, but I have never worked harder on, on just the script than any other show because the stakes were so high for me is like, I don't want to embarrass myself. First of all, and these people that I look up to, but also there is no parachute. Like there's, so there's no like crash mat or anything. Like you, you're living and dying by this. You got to nail it. So the only option is to get it right. Right. And uh, so that's, that's, that became my, you know, uh, focus. But when you he, and I hung out a little bit in New York then when I was, yeah, we did. We, we drank. Yeah. <laughs> that's we how did. we came up we went with for some show. amazing pasta <laughs> yeah. we got really drunk one night and came up with the tv show <laughs> we did that was awesome so when he okay because like i if that happened to me when he said that i would i've noticed i normally would be like oh i'm in trouble oh they don't like me and then i get more in my head and like hold back and I actually had a director the other day say to me, I was helping him co-direct a commercial and he was like, let's not over direct them. Let them just do it. And at first I was like, oh, he hates me. And then I was like, be a tough bitch. He's just telling you the truth. 
don't. And then I didn't get in my head. But if Soderbergh said that to me, like what in that moment were you just like, okay, I'm in it. Or were you like, oh my God, I'm scared. Like, how did you perform the second take? Uh, I don't remember a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the great thing is like in the scene, I'm getting, I'm getting in shit anyways, uh, for missing something. So it, it, it was, uh, it, it was good. But like I said, I was convinced that first week I was going to get fired and, you know, definitely had the imposter syndrome going on in my head of like, I don't belong here, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then were you you dissect, I call this scanning, dissecting tones of voices of critics, uh, advice. Like if he said it with a certain kind of tone, did he, did you, I've got a question for you that I'm getting at, but, uh, I guess you didn't do that. But what, what I always did or do is to be really in the moment and, you know, you have to be, you can't think about anything else. And the first thing, no. you know, the first thing you do is, is this good enough? As soon as you say that, as oh, you're yeah. doing it, you're fucked. As well, there least, was at least, yeah. I, I completely agree. And it's like, if you're doing this for the approval of the other person, you're thinking about that other person as opposed to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And what I learned on that set was he just wanted me to do my job. And the, the better, the more I just did my job and came in and did my job to the best of my ability, the better everything was. And like, there wasn't many times that he actually, you know, would give direction. It was very, very rarely. So the first assumption is, oh my God, he's not talking to me. He hates me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and then, but really it was like, I, he just gave so much trust in the fact that you just, you know, you're, you got hired to do your job, just do your job. Mm-hmm. And then right. as soon as that, you know, and like as a cast, we would talk about that. Right. And then mm-hmm. as soon as that's the, the expectation, you realize it's all within your own control. It was so incredibly freeing and was the best job I've ever had. Wow. Because it was like, all that was expected of me was for me to do my best. Well, guess what? I'm in charge of that and I can do that. So I'm just going to show up and do my best every day. And that was amazing. What do you have to say? To that, that? Yeah. you know, everybody in life reacts to circumstances differently. You know, uh, whether I don't like a flavor of an ice cream in an ice cream shop, but to be able to overcome that, the more I would think about the approval thing or my do it like this or am I rushing or am I dragging the, I would go down this spiral and I'd crash and burn. You know what I mean? Um, especially yeah. at auditions, man, I was really bad at auditions, you know, pressure but, goes on, right? You get in your head, you start overthinking it. Oh man, that's, it's the worst. It's mm-hmm. the worst. It's the same with stand up. Like if I'm doing a showcase like I've been having the best sets I've ever had right now in COVID because I go out, no stakes, no one important is watching. I'm not showcasing for anybody and I'm just myself and like, who cares? I don't have to do a tight 15, but as soon as I will have to go back to showcasing for club, for clubs, I'm in my head and I'm doing it for them. I'm not doing it to just be myself. Like it's a, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that that's the lesson, right? Yeah. The lesson is, is to, is to, that that freedom that you have when you're just doing it for you yeah right yeah. it's like we all like i i've you know i've done my best line readings and i'm sure you've told your best jokes in the bathroom mirror mm-hmm. right because <laughs> you've got no audience That's and right. you know it's like you know and then 
you know, so being able to take that mindset and take it out into the real world is, is, is a, is like a life hack. It's a superpower. And the fact that, you know, you know, when they, it's that same thing, it's like dance, like nobody's watching. That's what that means. Yeah. It means like, just don't worry about anybody else. Do your thing, be yourself, be yourself to the best of your ability and, and things work out. Ooh. Be yourself to the best of your ability and things work out. God damn. That's why I want Eric to be my dad. Imagine growing up with someone saying that to you your whole entire life. Oh my God, I'm still letting it sink in. Is this hitting anyone else as hard as it's hitting me? Be yourself to the best of your ability and things work out. Okay, cool. Easier said than done, but noted. That was part one. Obviously, there's a part two, guys, because this is how we do it right now. This is how it goes. We were on the phone with Eric for a little while, and the second part, he dives into the way that he balanced fatherhood with shooting across the world all times, and the struggles that he encountered and how he overcame them. I've had other dads on here that have been in a similar situation, but Eric, I feel like, has nailed it. Not to toot his horn, but I really admire the way that he has continued a relationship with his kid. And yeah, he's still together with his wife, you know, a normal family, but he has been on on the road. I was going to say the road more shooting a lot. And he stayed with me and my boyfriend while he was doing pilot season. And I just watched, I was like, wow, this is a very interactive dad, but you know, there's still challenges. He's not a saint. Okay. Well, actually maybe he is, but you know what? I'm happy with my dad too. making progress. That's what it's about. Right. And guys, I'll tell you, it's my birthday today. As this episode comes out, it's my birthday. And I will be recording a birthday special. By that, I mean a birthday party that I'm forcing my dad to record with me because I know he's reluctant because he has stuff going on and I'm an only child with abandonment issues. And I'm like, dad, what I want for my birthday is for you to record with me and we're gonna do a birthday party so you can see what you would have had to deal with if you were around during all those years. Because kids' birthday parties are a challenge, especially when you're a dad jumping into it when the mom has like made the kid's birthday so special. My mom did make me a spoiled brat for my birthday. But you know what? I love it. So happy birthday to me. If you want to give me a birthday present, sign up for Patreon or please review the podcast and share it. Social media, tag us at Woe Dad Podcast or at Nikki Bond. And that would be great. Just validation is all I want for my birthday. I mean, I guess I need a little bit of money, but I'd rather the validation and spreading of the word. Next week, we will be doing part two, unless I decide that the birthday episode should be put in ASAP. We're going to play it by ear because that's what we're doing right now, every day at a time, as we deal with the problems of life and the things that come in the way. 
Here I go rambling. Don't forget to sign up patreon.com slash Nikki Bond. Ooh, and if you want to see the film that Eric and I were referring to that we did together about the puppet who commits suicide, you can find it in the link below or on my YouTube, youtube.com slash Nikki Bond. And it's called Shelly. For my Bobby bit today, this happened when we were trying to connect to my dad and his internet was fucking up. And this is a classic moment that happens between me and my dad every time we say goodbye. It's happened since I was a kid. He could never let me hang up first. And my boyfriend has to witness it all the time when we FaceTime, where we just go back and forth of who will hang up first. So it happened when my dad was like, okay, I'll call you back and I'll try the proper Wi-Fi and Eric got to sit through it. So this is just a little taste of trying to hang up the phone with Bobby. Okay, cool. Okay. All right, bye. 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 See you. Bye. 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 I see you soon. <laughs>